This podcast is a ministry of Trinity Baptist Church in Jonesboro, Tennessee. Trinity Baptist Church exists to exalt God in worship, to equip disciples, and to evangelize the lost. For more information about our church, just visit our website at trinity3e.org. This morning, we are beginning a four-part series addressing the question of elders. So I want to say at the out front to those that are regular attenders at Trinity and to those who may be guests or first-time guests, the next few Sundays will be a little bit different than what normally takes place. My normal pattern of preaching is to take a passage of Scripture and we work our way through it. It's called expository preaching. Uh, We're obviously not going to depart from that very far, but the difference is certainly today I'm not going to be taking one text and just working our way through that. But what I want us to really think about this morning is why are we even considering this? And as a starting point, I want to ask you if you have your copy of God's Word to open it to Exodus chapter 18, verses 13 through 23. And I'll read this passage just a little bit later. So today, we're going to start this four-part series. And basically, this series is built around why, what, who, and how. So very basic. Why are we considering this? What do elders do? Who would serve as an elder? And then how would they function? How, how does that work? Um, so I wanted us to really begin dealing with that this morning. But before we even deal into that, there are some things that I wanted just, as I speak this morning to you, to keep in the forefront. Things that will not change. Things that we are, are committed to things that as we discuss this change and pray about it, that I want us to keep in our thinking. In other words, these are the goals that I want us to keep in mind. And the first are the three E's of Trinity. You may have noticed our website is trinity3e.org. And you may think it's just a way to emphasize Trinity. Well, it's a little bit more than that. Those three E's serve as the anchor for our purpose, the reason we exist. And I wanted us this morning just to keep these things in our mind, not just today, but even as we continue in this discussion. The first E is exalt. The church exists to bring glory to God. That's why we're here. To demonstrate the manifold wisdom of God throughout the ages. To demonstrate His grace. In fact, it is my belief worship serves as the core of who we are as a congregation and as individual Christians. God made us as worshiping beings. We're always worshiping. Now, we may worship the wrong things. That's called idolatry. But we do that because we are in our very being made to worship. And I believe that congregational worship serves as the hub of the will by which we roll. As worship goes, so goes the life of the church and the life of the individual believer. I believe corporate worship is that important. So exalt is the first of those E's. The second E is evangelize. Part of the way that we glorify God is telling others, sharing the good news of the gospel. As has been said time and time again, evangelism is simply one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. 
We exist to share the good news, not just in word, not just in deed, but also in word. To share, to tell people about the good news that first we are sinners, that God still loves us. In fact, he loved us enough to send his own son to die on the cross for our sins and that he rose from the dead and that anyone who believes in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved from the wrath of God. We exist to tell. But evangelism and seeing a person become a believer is just the first step in the journey. Because we are also called to equip, that is, make disciples. See, we must remember that evangelism is not the end of our responsibility. It's the beginning. Because once a person comes to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we as a congregation have a responsibility to help nurture them in the faith, to help them to grow. Because Christianity is a process of sanctification. Following our Lord Jesus so that we become more like Him. Learning to think as Jesus would think. To act as Jesus would act. That's part of discipleship. Now, the reason I wanted us to keep this in our thinking is that no matter how we decide to go on this question of elders, these things don't change. As we seek the Lord's will as a congregation, we have our anchors in place that will keep us Focused on where we need to be focused. Exalt, evangelize, and equip. The second thing that is really on my heart is this. It is the peace that God has given us. Oh, Can we go to the next slide? For some reason I'm not. There we go. The peace and unity of a congregation is crucial. In Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, Paul wrote, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Heavy on my heart is that I would not want anything, anything at all, to disrupt the peace and the unity we have here at Trinity. God has been so good to us. It is a joy to come and to worship together. It is a joy to be in small groups together. I even hate to say it this way because it sounds glib and I don't mean it like that, but it's fun to come to church. And I would not want anything at all to hinder that. So I have to tell you, as I've come to lead us in discussing this question, it's been with a, a bit of nervousness that we would not lose focus of what God has called us to do in the three E's or do anything that would disrupt our unity. And that's why I am at peace with no matter how we as a congregation determine to move forward, it's going to be for God's good. And I hope that you'll approach it the same way. Now, our current leadership structure at Trinity, let's see, there we go, is simply this. The Lord Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Amen. I'm glad we're all in agreement on that. This is not my church. It's not our church. It's his church. We're his people. He is the leader. Now, as Baptists, we believe that the Lord has called a people unto himself. And we practice what's called congregational polity. That means on decisions, the congregation takes the lead. And the pastor and the staff and the deacons serve the congregation in doing that. 
So that's our current leadership structure. It's really in many ways hard to draw out, but you have the pastor and the staff working with the deacons to help the congregation follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Pastor, I do that as the senior pastor through preaching and teaching and counseling at different times. Staff does it in leading their various uh, areas of, of calling areas of ministry student music uh, children things like that and our deacons come alongside operating in a way first of all in serving the congregation in a hands-on manner our deacons focus on ministry to our senior adults and the widows and widowers every deacon has a list of senior adults that they keep in contact with and reach out to to say how are you doing is there anything that you need because we want to be sure that no one no one falls through the cracks and then the deacons currently serve in a, a an advisory capacity to the pastor and the staff so if there are issues that is the staff we're struggling with we're not sure what to do the deacons come alongside to help us pray through that get wisdom and then to come back to the congregation to say, this is the way that we feel that we should go. So that is, I think, as basic as I could explain what our current leadership structure is. Now, what we are considering then is this. Top two things haven't changed. The Lord Jesus is still in charge of the church. The congregation, we would still be a congregational-led church. But what we're adding in is elder-led, and I want to say elder-led, and we'll talk more about this in the Sunday school sessions. There's a difference between elder-led and elder-rule. Elder-rule is where the elders would take the place of the congregation in this chart, and whatever the elders say, that's what goes. That's not the model that's being proposed. The model that's being proposed is an elder-led model where the elders would work alongside the ministerial staff in giving leadership to the congregation. So the congregation is still going to vote on things like budget, on, on leadership, on other issues that the congregation would need to vote on like we are currently doing. The deacons would fall into a position underneath the elders and the staff, this being the biggest change. That role of being advisors would be taken away from the deacons and moved to the elders so the deacons would focus solely upon hands-on service to the congregation. Senior adult ministry would continue. Ministry to the, the widows and the widowers would continue. Things like the deacons did. You may not be aware of this, but our church picnic back in July where there were almost 200 people at, the deacons led in that. They were the ones organizing that, helping get everything in place. So the deacons would really become more of that hands-on serving the congregation as the elders and the staff work to give spiritual leadership to the congregation. So that's what we are considering. And here is the process by which we're going to go through this consideration. We've got four sermons that I just talked about, the why, what, who, and how. I'm also going to be meeting with groups of Sunday school classes over the next few weeks. So each grouping of classes will meet up in the chapel for two Sundays for a little more discussion, a little more conversation about this. There will be a church-wide discussion on Sunday night, October 23rd at 5 p.m. We're going to have prayer meetings starting this coming Wednesday night and every Wednesday night at 6 o'clock up in the chapel just praying for God's guidance, laying this before Him, asking the Lord to lead us, and then finally, there will be a church vote on November 6th about making this change. Now, I want to reiterate something I said earlier. At that church vote on November 6th, 
If the church votes yes to move forward, then this moves to the bylaws committee that begins hammering out the details of what that looks like. So the vote on November 6th will be a vote to to make this leadership change in general, knowing that the bylaws committee will go to work, hammering out the details that the congregation will then discuss and decide on at a later date. If there's not a strong majority on November 6th, we continue serving the Lord. That's why I say this is to me is a win-win situation. We seek the Lord's guidance, and as if a people, we say this is not a change we need to make at this time. We continue with the three E's. We continue in peace, unity, and love moving forward. So you know what? For me, in the role that I'm in, that means the pressure's off. This is not about me convincing you of anything. This is about us seeking the Lord together. And to say, Lord, is this something that you would have Trinity to do? And it'll be a great exercise in congregational polity to come together and to discuss these things, to answer questions, and to dive into the Word of God together. So those are all the preliminaries. So why consider elders? And I want to read this passage from Exodus 18, 13 through 23, but I want to be clear about something. In reading this, I am in no way saying I am Moses. I want to be very clear about that. Parallels between Moses and Mark stop at the letter M, which begins our names. But there's something in this text that I wanted us to consider, and something as I talked this morning about why that I wanted to put before us. Now, in this context, Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, has come to visit. Now, one of the things I believe is that human nature has not changed throughout the Scripture. So I have a feeling that when word got to Moses that his father-in-law was coming, Moses was probably a little anxious. Wants to put his best foot forward. That's what happens. He goes through life. And you'll notice in verse 13, the next day Moses sat down to judge the people. And the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. And then the father-in-law utters those words that every son-in-law loves to hear. What you are doing is not good. It's not. Verse 18, you and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice, and I will give you advice. And God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you, and you will be able to endure, and all this people will also go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. 
the concept that I wanted to, want us to lead us to see in this is the idea of shared leadership. Moses was not alone. We think of him as he's Moses. He's out in front of the people, and he's the one leading the way. But the reality is Moses was not by himself in leadership. You see here where he heeds the counsel of his father-in-law, calls out able-bodied men to help him bear the burden of leadership in judging cases and working through to give guidance. Furthermore, if you do a survey of the word elders in the Scripture, which we'll do a very brief one in just a moment, Moses was not alone, for example, when he went up on Mount Sinai. The Bible says there were 24 elders of Israel who went with him up on the mountain, as well as did Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abinahu. And you find that pattern all throughout the Scripture. So whereas Moses, you could say, was like the, the captain of the team, he wasn't alone in leadership. There were 24 elders beside him, helping him to make decisions and give guidance to the people. Which leads me to the first reason that I wanted us to consider this. A survey of the scripture, I think, shows where elders are a biblical pattern of leadership. Even before Emma got sick, as I was reading the New Testament, it was striking me more and more that you would keep coming across elders in the plural. So even before November of 2016, this was something that I was wrestling with, thinking, Lord, is this what you would have us to do? And I want to give you just a sampling of what you see in the Scripture. And I want to encourage you on your own, dive into the Scripture. Um, in our Sunday school meetings, I will have available to all who wanted a compilation of passages Old and New Testament that bring up the issue of elders. And what you begin to see is, for example, in Acts, when Paul is recording or Luke is recording the work of the growth of the church, he said, from now, now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus, that's Paul, and called the elders, the presbyteros of the church to come to him. So as Paul is approaching Ephesus, he calls the elders to meet him. Acts 20, verse 28, Paul is speaking to the elders Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, that's the word episkopos, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his blood. Now, presbyter or elder and overseer are synonymous words. You're going to hear this again and again over the next four weeks. So just this will help us get in our thinking. To me, the word elders describes who? Elders, the, the mature leaders that have been called out by the congregation to give leadership, what do they do? They give oversight to the congregation. A third word that's synonymous with elder and overseer is the word shepherd. That's how they are to do it. So you have who, an elder, what do they do? They give oversight to the church. How do they do it? As shepherds, shepherding the flock of God. So once again, Paul is saying, elders, he has given you as the task of being overseers of the church. First Timothy 1, or I'm sorry, chapter 3, verse 1 through 2. This trustworthy is saying that if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. 1 Timothy 5, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. That preaching and teaching gives an insight into how or shepherding is done. 
What they do is overseers. Elders and overseers, once again, serving in synonymous ways. Another passage is Titus. Paul writes to Titus saying, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in or, into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. The idea being that in every town as a church was planted, Titus would be appointing elders to oversee the work of the church there. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. Once again, you see in verse 7 where overseer is the same thing as an elder. An elder is an overseer who shepherds the congregation of God. One other verse that I will put before you this morning in 1 Peter 5. So I exhort the elders among you. As a fellow elder, isn't it interesting? Peter, who was an apostle, refers to himself as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. Shepherd, remember what I said, the idea of an elder is who, what do they do? They give oversight. How do they do it? By shepherding the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly. As God would have you, not, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. So we see we are considering elders, I think, because in the New Testament you see this plurality of elders. In fact, you'll hear that word plurality of elders and single elder. Right now we operate really under a single elder model with me being the elder. And this is simply creating a way to share that leadership role among many. So that's the first reason that I wanted us to consider this. The first and primary reason. What does the scripture teach? And how do we, do we need to change our pattern of leadership to meet that? Now, I wanted to share some other reasons too. And these are, are very personal. Perhaps the thing I was most nervous about this morning was sharing these reasons why I want us to consider this. Um, because it, it deals with my circumstances in ministry. And you'll have to pardon me if I get a little emotional in this. You know, I, I grew up with my father teaching me a strong work ethic. If you've got a job to do, you do it. You stick with it till it's done. And it's hard for me to talk about where I feel like I'm being inadequate in fulfilling my role as pastor here. But at the same time, you're my church family. And you have been so good to me and my family. And I am so grateful. Needless to say, in November of 2016, my life and the life of my family changed dramatically. Now, many of you know what happened with my daughter, Emma. Many of you may not be aware. You've joined Trinity since then. There's a booklet called Emma's Story that's available out at the information desk to your right and also to the left that just gives a little bit more detail about what happened. In a nutshell, Emma was stricken with two rare neurological events. The big fancy terms are acute disseminated encephalomyelitis, and necrotizing encephalitis. Where in a nutshell, for some unknown reason, 
her body attacked her brain. Now, we are at a place where most doctors never thought we would be. We lived in a hospice house for 10 months thinking she was terminal, but God is at work. She is showing movement. But what we still deal with on a daily basis is this. Emma still cannot walk. She cannot turn herself in bed. And she cannot talk. She still has a tracheostomy. What that means is, is that someone has to be with Emma 24 hours a day. God has worked and provided. We do have nighttime nurses. We do have nurses that help us out some during the week, but my wife is the primary caregiver. I use two analogies to describe our relationship based on how the day is going. Either she is like Batman and I'm like Robin in taking care of Emma, or on days when I'm struggling, she's like Skipper and I'm Gilligan. You all have been so gracious in allowing me to work a lot at home and to have flexible hours because part of my responsibility is not just to take care of Emma but to take care of my wife so that if she has a chance and wants to get out of the house I want to be there to be able to say go I can be in here with Emma if she needs suctioning because it's more than just sitting with her it's keeping monitor of her oxygen so that if her lungs start to get choked up, we can suction her trach out. Now, I don't say all that, and this is what I struggle with, to say, woe is Mark. That is not why I'm doing this. But it's made it hard for me, I feel like, in many ways, to lead as I feel like I should be leading. One of the things that I did in preparation for this message was to step back and take an overview of our ministries here at Trinity. And I shared this with the staff to get their input. And I wanted to use an airplane analogy to talk through this. There are ministries that we have that are flying high. They're at cruising altitude. They're at 35,000 feet with a good wind, and they're moving on. Their children in nursery are upward, youth in college, music, seniors on the road, women's ministry. Are, and you can see the different aspects of that. Women on mission, women of joy, women in fellowship, our mills ministry, car counseling led by Tom Harrington. These are ministries that have great leadership in place, and they are moving along. And I thank God for these ministries that are flying high. But also recognize that there are some ministries that are simply in a holding pattern. They're going, but they're just holding. They're not growing. Our property and building plans. Before COVID, or as we joke at our house, before the COVID hit, we had cleared out our lot. We were getting ready to add a youth building. And of course, COVID put a grinding halt to those. I feel like that's been in a holding pattern because I can't give the time necessary to say, okay, let's get this back together and start moving forward. Our adult Sunday school, we have great Sunday school teachers. But I fear I've not been enough of a service to them and helping them to get what they need. And they are doing a fantastic job. Equip is in a holding pattern. It's operating but it's not really growing or moving forward like it could be with more hands-on leadership. There are some ministries that are just now taking off. 
It's my understanding that an airplane uses more energy in takeoff. Our men's ministry is in the takeoff phase. And we have formed a great leadership team that is working to offer discipleship opportunities for our men on a regular basis. And they are giving that energy in that ministry, taking off. And hopefully we'll reach that, that attitude of cruising. But also, and this is what hurts the most, there are some ministries that are still in the hangar. Outreach mission trips, prayer ministry, a recreation ministry, ministry to young professionals, ministry to middle-aged adults. These are things that I feel like could be really out on the runway and taking off, but it's just an issue of having the time and the energy to do that. And I believe that elders can help in doing this. So the second reason that I'm asking us to consider this is simply the circumstances I find myself in. Now, one of the questions that I know will come up is simply this. Why not hire more staff? And there may be a time where, yes, we need to hire more staff because the needs of the ministry are so great. It's growing and needs more leadership. But this brings me to the third one. Continuity for the future. There will come a day, hopefully in the distant future, where Trinity will have to seek a new pastor. Once again, Lord willing, that's in the distant future. What I feel like elders will do whenever it's time for a new senior pastor or calling other staff members is elders give a continuity of vision and church culture. Because often what happens is when a new pastor is called, the question is, well, what is his vision for the church? Where does he want to lead us? What this does with a group of elders, there is a vision already in place that when that process begins, they can say, this is our vision. Would you be on board with that? This is our culture, who we are as a church. Can you be a part of that as you step into that role as the primary preacher and teacher? That elders give a continuity for the future. Now, I know this leaves a lot of questions, a lot of details, and hopefully over the next few weeks, I'll be able to answer those questions. We'll be able to explore this. The questions are good, and I want you to know that it is healthy to discuss this. So whether it be in the Sunday school classes or email or calls, please feel free to ask me. But I want us to move forward with two verses in mind, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Let's just acknowledge Him and lead on Him, and He'll guide us. And then finally, James 1, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. I love that verse. God never calls us on the carpet for saying, God, I don't know what to do. He invites that. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. That's why we're entering into a time of prayer as a congregation. So I ask you to join with me. That we would not lean on our own understanding. That we would seek to discern the will of God. And that he would give us wisdom in what we should do in moving forward. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, I thank you for the grace that you give. And Lord, as a congregation, as we embark upon this process, we ask for your leadership. We want to do what will bring glory to your name and what will be best for us as a congregation. So we ask you to lead us, O Lord. You know, Father, and we just ask you to give us insight. 
I thank you for this congregation. And Lord, I pray that you will lead us and be glorified in this. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.